had a funny thing happen this week on our staff. Uh, we had uh, this guy basically send an email to one of our staff members pretending to be me and asking our staff to send uh, them a bunch of Amazon gift cards. Yeah, we have this happen quite a bit. I don't know why it's us or if this is every church, but uh, we get this happen where people see, you know, hey, if, if this person gets an email from Jeremy, they'll probably do it. So they just start making these weird requests. So the staff member realized, hey, I don't think that's Jeremy forward it to one of our exec pastors, Dave Prohl, who evidently has way too much time on his hands, is what I found out this week. Because instead of just, you know, flagging it or ignoring it or just moving on, Dave decided, I'm going to email this person back and go along. And so Dave decided, I'm going to pretend like I really think this is Jeremy, and we'll see how long I can keep this dialogue going. So the initial request is simple. Hey, I need you to buy a bunch of gift cards, you know, uh, with the church money and then scratch off the back and send me the photo. And to, to this initial simple request, Dave replies with this. You bet. What account number do you want me to charge? Also, how did your surgery go? <laughs> now, I don't, I don't know if you're a spammer. At what point do you go? Probably not worth it. You know what I mean? Like... I don't want to get into this. I don't know what surgery we're talking about here. But the spammer thought, hey, I've got someone. They're, they're open. I just got to play along a little bit. To which the fake Jeremy replies, I want you to handle this personally. I will reimburse you later. Thanks for asking. My surgery was successful. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Come on. That's amazing. So happy for him. You know, like, oh. And you might go, well, what surgery are we talking about? Yeah, you know, it's, it's an obvious question. Well, Dave decided to, to get a little bit more detailed into that. <laughs> to which his next reply was this. I'm glad it went well. I know that you guys have been praying for more kids. Maybe this will help. Fingers crossed. I guess what I'm asking is prayers for Dave. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, what, what happens in your head that this is the next response that you think is healthy? But even with this, this fake Jeremy keeps going and they go back and forth and back and forth and Dave gets this going nearly a hundred emails this week, back and forth and back and forth and constantly just giving a little bit shy of what this guy is looking for every time, but seeing how he can prolong this. Now, again, if you remember, the initial request was simply, I need you to scratch off the numbers of an Amazon card, send me a photo. So they decides to get an Amazon card and scratch off a number, but it's the wrong number. He scratches off the amount of the dollars <laughs> on the back. 
just clearly not what this guy is looking for. And again, you think this guy is going to go, hey, this guy's messing with me. But he doesn't. He keeps going. And here's my favorite part of the whole story. Dave gets the spammer to send him a photo of what he had originally asked for. This is what the spammer sends back to Dave. Sends him a photo of an Amazon card with the number scratch. Like, this is what I'm looking for. And I just think, how brilliant of a troll do you have to be to get, you know, like that's amazing level trolling to get the spammer to send you what they wanted you to send them. And I, I was quite amazed with Dave this week. I said, hey, Dave, I got to tell that story to our church. I think, it's, I think it's a funny story. And I said, would you like write up all this, send all the photos and everything, like put it in a document, like send it to me so I can do that. And he goes, no problem. Well, I don't hear anything from him. Uh, so the next day I go into his office and said, hey, seriously, I want to tell this story. Can you send it to me? And he said, I did. <laughs> I said, no, you didn't. And he said, oh, no. So that's how you end a spam conversation is send the guy your detailed notes of what you're doing to him in a Word document. That, that evidently ends it. Well, welcome to church today. We are so glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Jeremy, the lead pastor. I'm the real Jeremy in case you got a spam email from me uh, this week. We are so thrilled that you're here. I'm going to connect that story to our topic today. Just wait. It's going to be amazing. Uh, I want you to get your Bibles out, get your journals out. We are in week three of our journals. Uh, if you have your journal with you or you got one today, I encourage you to take notes like we do each and every week. And if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 10. Hopefully you brought a Bible with you. Uh, we use our Bibles every week here, and so I encourage you to get a physical Bible, uh, bring it with you, go to John 10, or a Bible app on a phone uh, if you've got that. Uh, we'd love for you to read this for yourself as, uh, as you learn how to dive into God's Word as we do it each and every weekend together. We've been in this series looking at things that Jesus said about himself from the Gospel of John. And, and so far we looked at him saying, I am the light of the world and I am the bread of life. And we go, oh, those are cool images. I like those. And then you get to today's and Jesus says, I am a gate. And you're like, what? Like that one's not as cool. You know, like I, the other first two were, were poetic sounding. And then you get to this one, you're going, okay. So you probably have never heard a sermon on this uh, because most of us are like, I don't know what to do with this image, uh, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to unpack it, and I'm going to show you what I think Jesus was saying when he was using this illustration, and I think it's unbelievably profound when you understand the context in which he said it. And, and so we're going to look at this together. Uh, so I, even though it's a little bit strange, hang with me. Uh, we're going to see what I believe Jesus is saying in, in, in saying this illustration. So let's read together John chapter 10. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 1, and he's going to set up a different image to ultimately get us to the image of him being a gate. Here's what he says, John 10 verse 1. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. And the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. 
Now, Jesus uses figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. The reason the Pharisees don't understand what he's telling them is because he's telling this about them. So Jesus begins by explaining the type of people who get into a a sheepfold, into a sheep pen, uh, by way of the gate, either using the gate or not using the gate. And he sets up this dichotomy. You have the thief and the robber who gets in from some other way. They do not enter through the gate. They get in some other way. But then he says there's a shepherd that walks right in through the gate. And so there's this contrast that he's setting up. There's two types of people based on whether or not they use the gate. Now, first, Jesus is referring to himself here as the shepherd. He's the one. He walks right in. The sheep know his voice. And then he refers to these religious leaders. And he says, you are the thieves and the robbers. You have climbed in a different way. You have not used the gate. Now, if you're keeping track, there's three different times he mentions the gate in those verses we just read. Because that's really where this is going. And so let's talk about gates for a moment. Gates are incredibly common all throughout time, uh, all throughout cultures. You can go anywhere in the world and, and they have lots of different varieties. And in fact, an almost unlimited amount of varieties. But we recognize them as all essentially the same thing. You can have gates for houses. And you have all kinds of gates and all kinds of houses. And, and you would find this and we go, yeah, we have, it's a gate. It's a side yard. You, know, you have a gate for it. You can have gates for castles. So even if you have a really big house and you live in a castle, you can have a gate that is the entrance of a castle. There can even be gates for cities. This was uh, the Brandenburg Gate. This is uh, the way you originally get into Berlin. Uh, This incredible city gate uh, on a massive scale. But you can also have small gates like gates for babies. And and you'd have this in a house, you know, inside of a house. And and so you see gates all the time and we're very used to gates. and, And essentially there's two purposes of a gate. It's protection from the outside and it's inclusion for the inside. So if you want to keep something out or you want to keep something in, you use a gate. And we see these all the time. And that's why when Jesus says this, we don't think much about it because gates are so common. There's not much poetry to the idea of a gate. But here's what you realize, that gates also teach us an important concept. And when we look at the way Jesus is using a gate here, here's what we're beginning to see from the logic that he's using. That the way you enter determines the way you're treated. I encourage you to write that down. The way you enter determines the way you're treated. Now notice, again, in Jesus' analogy here, that if you enter by some means other than the gate, you are a thief and a robber. And he says the sheep will not recognize your voice. They will not know you uh, because you're not supposed to be there. You got in, but you're not supposed to be there. But then he says if you go in through the gate, the sheep will know your name. You're the shepherd. They will respond to you. And so he's setting up this, this contrast. The way you enter determines the way that you're treated. And we know this on a, on a personal level as well. If someone comes over to your house and they enter your house through the front door, odds are you want them there. Odds are you welcome them in, you invited them over, they're going to be welcome inside of your house. But if someone gets into your house through a window, odds are they're breaking in. Or you don't want them there, or you will not receive them once they get in. Now, if you have a teenager living in the house, this illustration falls apart. I'm sorry. But for the rest of us, it works, right? Like, hey, there's a certain way you're supposed to come in my house. And if you don't come in that way, I probably don't want you there. Let's go back to my illustration with Dave. There's a reason why Dave spent so much of his week emailing back the fake Jeremy. Why? Because of the way that he approached it. Now, here's what I think is funny. 
if, if this Amazon spammer, the fake Jeremy, uh, if he would have legitimately asked Dave for an Amazon gift card, I bet Dave would have given him one. Now, I know Dave, you know him, he, he has a, 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 you know, a tough exterior shell, but he's a softy on the inside, you know. And I bet if this guy would have said, hey, Pastor Dave, I, I really need some help, would you be willing, and, and had a totally different approach, I bet that Dave would have given him a gift card. But it was the way in which he responded to Dave, the way in which he approached Dave that created the response that he did not ultimately want, right? It's the way that he deceived him and pretended and, and came about it a, a totally inappropriate way that ultimately created that response in Dave. Now, thankfully, Dave doesn't respond to my emails that way, right? I don't get a run around and a whole bunch of weird things from him because I'm not approaching him in that way. This is the same reason why you probably feel no guilt when you don't email back a spammer. Anybody like losing sleep, like, I feel bad for that guy. I should, have, I should have responded to him. No, you feel no guilt. Why? Just because they have your email doesn't mean you gave it to them. Doesn't mean you want them to have it. It's the way in which they are approaching you that is determining the way you respond to them. And so this is the concept Jesus is explaining, that if you decide I'm going to get in by my own method, it will completely change the experience once you're inside. And yet for a lot of us, we don't ever think about how do I get in, and we just think I just got to get in to the sheepfold. And Jesus is going, whoa, 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 it's not just about getting in, it's about how you get in. Now, that's our understanding of gates. If you go back and look at what a Hebrew mindset of gates was, you get an even different concept. Now, in their culture, uh, a gate represented wisdom and judgment. And, and there was a, a discernment aspect involved in gates. Now, I can show you this in Proverbs chapter 8. It says it like this. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand beside the gate leading into the city. At the entrance, she cries aloud. So look, this is poetry, but you have, you know, wisdom is literally located beside the gate. Because in their mind, that's what a gate was. It was this barrier, this, this limiting part of wisdom. Which is why in their culture, you'd often find judges or kings at the, the gate of a city, at the entrance to a city. James chapter 5 says this. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Now, the Greek word used here for door is the same word used in John 10 for gate. The judge is standing at the gate. Why? Because that's where judges were. That's where wisdom was. This concept for them was that wisdom let good ideas in and kept bad ideas out. Right? It was a filter. This is what a gate did. It allowed this. And we understand this intuitively as well. Have you ever thought something in your mind and you filtered it and you didn't actually say it? Every happily married man is nodding yes right now going, yep, yep, did it this morning. You know what I mean? Like that's what we do. I'm thinking something. I'm going to filter it and I may not say it. That is wisdom. That's the same concept of a gate. Now, after our Thursday night service, uh, one of our staff said, hey, Jeremy, you should tell a story about a time when you said something to Michelle that you should have filtered, but you didn't. I said, let me get this straight. You want me to say something? They go, well, well hold on. What if, you, what if you never said it? Just share something that you never said. I'm like, you want me to share something that I filtered to my wife and share it with thousands of people? 
They're like, yeah. I'm like, are you crazy? I am not, that's not the point. Wisdom is knowing I shouldn't say that. And we all do this. And this is a Hebrew understanding of a gate. That it keeps those things out and go, oh, I I shouldn't, that should not come out of my mouth, right? And, 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 you know, as you grow up, hopefully you have a better discernment on what things you shouldn't say and what things are appropriate to say. All of this is captured in the concept of a gate. But it's not just that. And so we're going to say, we could stop there and go, oh, that's cool that, you know, Jesus is like the wisdom of God and he filters that. But it's way beyond that when you see how Jesus is going to use this. So go back to John 10, look at verse 7. And he's just set up this analogy of you have the thief and the robber versus the shepherd based on the gate. But then notice how he's going to up the ante. Verse 7, therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And that last verse you may recognize is where we get our name as a church from John 10.10. And you may not have ever realized that was in the context of Jesus calling himself a gate. And Jesus talking about two types of people, the thief and the robber. And the shepherd, the one that has come to bring you life. And and this abundant life is all dependent on a gate. And you begin to realize, oh, that's that's an interesting image. Now notice the weird twist. In the first six verses we read in chapter 10, Jesus is referring to himself as a shepherd. Now I'm going to dive into that next week. And so uh, we're going to go all into this image of Jesus as a shepherd. But then he transitions and he starts calling himself a gate. And you may go, well, this is confusing. Why is he using both of these? And, and which one is it? You know, what, what's going on here? But this is, uh, this is where it gets really good. And so let me unpack this for you. This is the part that's worth the price of admission, right? Now, in that time, there were two different kinds of sheepfolds. You would have one in a city and one out in the country. Now, in the city or in a town or a village, you'd have a, a formalized big sheepfold. And it would have sturdy walls and maybe have a covering over it. And it would have a, a sturdy door. And there would be a gatekeeper. Jesus referenced the gatekeeper in the first six verses. There would be a gatekeeper for this type of a sheepfold. And so what would happen is at the end of a day, a shepherd would bring his flock in. And they would all get to rest inside of this sheepfold. And only the gatekeeper had the key. The shepherd didn't have the key, only the gatekeeper did. But the gatekeeper would allow the shepherds to come in and allow their sheep. Then the next day, each shepherd would call to his flock. The flock would recognize their shepherd's voice. They would exit out, and that's how they would take care of their flock at night. They would use this, uh, this you know, sturdy sheepfold in the midst of a town or a village. But that's not what Jesus is referencing here. He's, he's hinting at that one in the first six verses. But then he's changing his application. Because his image in the second one is what you'd have a sheepfold out in the city or outside of the city. See, when the weather would be warm and you could take a flock further away from a town or a village and you could sleep out in the countryside at night. Now, there's still amount of danger there and you had to keep your flock together. You had to make sure, you know, nothing was going to, no other animal was going to attack them. So they had built these uh, very crude shelters for shepherds out in the countryside. Let me show you a picture of them. This is what they looked like. And so you'll notice the walls are much smaller. They're not, you know, super indefensible, uh, but they would be enough to keep most animals out. 
and, and they'd have this little, you know, environment. And then you see right here is the entrance. And notice, there's no gate. There's no door. There's nothing there. And so this is the way they would look. Now a shepherd out in the countryside would take his flock into this at night, would get all of his sheep in there, and here's where it gets really good. What the shepherd would do is lay down at the entrance, and the shepherd would become the gate. Nothing could get in or out except by going through the shepherd. And this is what Jesus is saying. Is this amazing or what? Come on, somebody. Jesus is saying, you come in here. You can experience life that is truly life. And I will lay down right here and I'll protect you. I'll make sure nothing gets to you. You can rest assured. You can live the life that I've called you to because you know that I will be your gate. And if anything wants to get to you, it's going to have to go through the shepherd first. It's a beautiful image that Jesus is saying, this is what I'm offering you. And so when we talk about, I want abundant life, great. But you can't have that without understanding the image he's using to explain it. That's how you can sleep well at night. That's how you can thrive is when you're inside here and there's a shepherd named Jesus as the gate for you. And I began to think about this image and uh, truthfully, it chokes me up. And every service this weekend so far that, that we have sang reckless love, I'm thinking about this image and imagining this is what Jesus is offering me. This is what Jesus is saying to me. And, and if you remember the lyrics, we just sang them. There's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down coming after me. See, Jesus is saying, I will do something for you. I will be that for you. You can enjoy life. You can thrive because I will be your gate. And it's incredibly good news when you understand this. But there's a couple catches to it. See, one of the things that you have to realize is that Jesus is saying he is the gate, not a gate. And this is where we go, oh, this is going to be uncomfortable. Because in our culture today, we want to talk about, yeah, there's lots of ways you can experience abundant life. And Jesus goes, no, there's not. If you want to experience this, you've, you've got to go through the gate. And yet we live in a culture that goes, no, hey, that gate might work for you, but there can be a different gate for someone else. So what you begin to realize in all of these I am statements, these are claims that Jesus is divinity. These are ways of Jesus saying, I'm not just a teacher. I'm not just a rabbi. I am God incarnate. And the way he talks about himself, no other human would ever say the kind of things that Jesus says because he's God. And so when he explains himself as a gate, notice the way in which he does it. Let me show you a different passage. This is Jesus talking about gates in Matthew chapter 7. It says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now you might take that and go, oh, only a few find it. It's because it's hard. It's because it's hard to find. you got to figure out a riddle. It's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying this gate is so simple, but, but this, it's like the only gate that there is. And so you can find lots of ways not to experience abundant life. You can find lots of ways not to experience the experience that God wants for you. But if you want it, it's only one gate that will actually get you there. And that's the person of Jesus. And so we've got to ask ourselves, have, have we entered this gate? And, and when you realize, like, oh, that's pretty simple message. Like all I have to do is walk through the gate. That's, that's all it is. It's not more complicated through that. 
And yet even explaining this, what I've realized is that some people go, well, going through the gate often doesn't feel like enough. Like there, there should be more to it than this. So you're saying, Pastor, that all I got to do is walk through this gate and I'll experience this abundant life? That's the image that Jesus is using. All you got to do, just walk through the gate. And the reality is that when you start to follow God, you, you start to think, you know, I should be climbing something. I should be doing something. I want to I wanna feel good about myself. I want to feel good about the things that I can do. And Jesus goes, no, no, just, just walk through the gate. I've already done all that for you. All you got to do is walk through. Yeah, but I... I feel like there should be more to it than that. Like, I, I want to I feel good about what I have actually accomplished. This is what it would be like. Imagine you had uh, keys to your house, um, and every night when you got home from work, uh, you, you went to your front door, and instead of using your key, you knocked on the front door. And you waited for a roommate or family member to come let you in to your house. Now, that might be cute for like a day or two, um, but they're going to get annoyed with that, right? Like, use your key that you have. Like, you have a key. Why are you knocking? Why are you waiting? Why are you not just coming inside? You have a key. But imagine day after day after day, you stand on the door and you keep knocking. And you wait for someone to let you in to the house that you already have a key to. Now, imagine they got so frustrated with this. So they decided, all right, here's the deal. We're going we're, we're gonna to look out for you. And when we see that you're home, we will open the door for you. The door's open. You don't even need to use a key. Literally just walk through the front door, that's all you got to do. And you got home, and you walked up to the door, which is open in front of you, and you knocked on it. Now, what kind of a conversation are your friends or family going to have with you if you're sitting at the front door of your own house and you're knocking? They're going to go, what are you missing? Walk through the door. There's nothing else. You don't need to do anything else. You literally just step inside and you'll be there. And it's the same with Jesus. And yet we can make it so complicated. Oh, I don't know. I'm not ready yet. I got to figure this out, figure that out. You're just going, no, you don't. You just walk through this gate. You walk through the opening that Jesus has made for you. And this is what is so unique to the message of Jesus. Now, you, you could compare this with every other world religion, no matter what world religion it is. And every other religion of the world will tell you, here's what you have to do to get into the sheepfold. Here's what you have to do if you want abundant life. If you want the life that's true life. You gotta do this, you gotta say this, you gotta pray this, you gotta do enough of these, uh, less of these, and all these things. And, and really what they're teaching you is here's how you climb into this sheepfold. Now compared and contrasted with all of that, Jesus says, you don't have to do anything. You just walk in. See, grace is the open door that tells you you can't get in to this like you think you can. You'll never be good enough. You'll never do enough. That won't work. You just have to walk through this open gate that Jesus has made for you. And it is different than every religion of the world. You know, so often people go, oh, yeah, Christian, that's cool for you. That's, that's just like all the other ones. And I'm like, you don't understand how world religions work. Because Christianity is the only one that tells you you couldn't get in. You can't get in. Stop trying. All you have to do is walk through this open gate. So let me ask us today, church. Are you living your life with Jesus as the gate? Would you describe yourself as, oh, I'm thriving. I am living in that abundant life that Jesus is alive in me. He is stirring in me. I am experiencing that kind of life. Or would you go, I don't think that's what I have. And maybe if you're honest, maybe you're trying to break in. 
Maybe instead of using the gate, you are so focused on what you can do to get into it. And it, it just seems a little bit out of your reach. And you may go, well, Jeremy, how do I know if I'm trying to break in? How do I know that? Well, here's a couple ideas. If you are adding things to the gospel, it's Jesus plus this. And, and this is what you have to have. And so you have Jesus and then you add whatever it is. See, look, if you add anything to Jesus, you get less. It doesn't add more to it. You get less because you get less Jesus. He doesn't need anything else. It doesn't work with him. And so often we go, yeah, Jesus plus my view on this or this thing that I'm really passionate about. And it's, no, that's not the way it works. It's Jesus. There is no other gate and he doesn't need anything else. It's just Jesus. Or if you're doing things your way. You know you're doing things your way when you start reading the Bible and you to that passage that disagrees with what you do. And you go, not doing that one. And you just move on. No big deal. Or, or you decide, I'm going to disobey God and I'm fine with it. He'll, he'll forgive me. You start doing things your way, right? I don't need to do things God's way. It's you getting over the fence. Instead of saying to the gate, hey, I'm just going to walk where you're telling me to walk, you start breaking in your own way. You start praying things like, God, bless what I'm doing instead of God, change my heart to what you want to do. So you start doing things your way. Or maybe you've figured out that you're trying to earn your way to God. I'm just going to do more good things than I have bad things. And you keep a running tally in your mind. I gotta do this, and I gotta do this, and I gotta do this. And you live as if karma was real. And I'm just gonna keep balancing this out. And if I get enough good things, it'll outweigh the bad things. And Jesus goes, it'll never be good enough. Why don't you just use the gate? Or maybe your confidence is in your ability rather than in the shepherd. Rather than this shepherd laying down as a gate for you. I don't need Jesus because I, I can take care of myself. I've got retirement. I've got my career. I'm self-sufficient. I can figure things out. And your confidence is solely in you. It's not in what Jesus could do for you. Or maybe, maybe you're trying to be the gate for other people. Hey, I'll tell you who can get in. I'll let you know if you can get past this gate. And Jesus has to just gently remind you, you're not the gate. You're not the filter. You don't get to decide who's in and who's out. All these are ways we can, we can try to break in and do it our own way. And Jesus is just gently going to remind us that's, that's not what I've invited you to experience. I want you to walk through the open gate. Or maybe for you, maybe you, you're not actually inside. You're not experiencing that kind of life, but you're close to it. Maybe you're like, hey, I can, I can see where Jesus is. I can see him laying down over there. I'm outside, but, but when I'm ready, I know where he is. And that's close enough. And you think that just because you're near it, because you can see it, that that's going to somehow rub off on you. Abundant life does not happen by proximity. It only happens when you walk through the gate. When you begin to surrender your life to Jesus, you begin to trust him in the real world. You say, hey, I'm not just going to see where he is. I'm going to walk through this gate. I'm going to experience the kind of life that he has designed for me. If you fast forward in the book of John, what you find is that they heard Jesus say all these things about himself. They put their trust in him. And then his disciples watched him go to the cross. And instead of Jesus winning, he loses. They watched Rome win. They watched the religious leaders win. And Jesus doesn't fight back. He, he doesn't seem to mind that he's losing. And then he hangs on a cross and he breathes his last. And all these followers that had put all their hope into him begin to feel fear. And you can understand why. Hey, this was the guy that was supposed to change everything and they just killed him and it's not gonna work. And so after that crucifixion, 
You have this scene of the early church who are terrified of what's going on around them. Yeah, they heard Jesus say these things, but it doesn't seem true anymore. It doesn't seem like it's actually going to work anymore. And yet they don't realize that death is not the end of the story. And that death actually shows Jesus' power. It does not negate it. You fast forward, you get to John chapter 20. Notice what it describes in verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Why are the doors locked? Because they're missing, they're missing their gate. They don't have a gate anymore. He died. And so they're huddled together, locking the doors around them. Because that is what fear will cause you to do. You will begin to lock every door you can find when you do not have that abundant life. When you do not have that peace, you will start to make the peace. You will start to push everyone around you out. Because you've got to figure out, how do I get back to that thing that I need? I'm so scared. I don't have that gate anymore. And they're huddled together in fear with the doors locked. And Jesus appears and says, peace be with you. It's the opposite of what they felt in that moment. They're locking the doors to keep people out and Jesus breaks in and says, I don't need a door. I don't need a gate. I am the gate. And everything I told you before is still true today. You fast forward a few verses, get to verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. And though the doors are still locked because they still cannot get over this fear, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. At this point, you've got to imagine Jesus going, what more do I have to say to you? Stop locking doors. I am your gate. You don't need this other false protection. You will never experience abundant life by locking doors around you. And yet our world's going to tell you, be afraid. Be very afraid. Lock every door you can. Push everyone around you away. And Jesus is going to come to the midst of that and say, peace be with you. I will be your gate. You don't need locked doors. You don't need to run in fear. You don't need to allow this story to shape you when you understand that the resurrected Jesus is with you in every moment of every day. And so some of you, you're going, I, I don't know if I'm, if I'm in that sheepfold anymore. Maybe I was there at one point, but I don't feel like that describes my life right now. The invitation for you is walk back in. If you're going, I think I'm, I think I'm outside, I'm just not feeling that kind of a life. Walk back in. Surrender your life. Allow Jesus to be the gate for you. Give up your own keys and stop locking the door around you. You go, Jesus, I, I trust you. You get to be my gate. Maybe for you, you've never experienced it. Have you seen it? You've thought about it, but you're like, I... I don't know what it would mean for me to surrender my life to Jesus. The invitation for you is so simple. Just walk through the gate. You don't have to earn it. You have to be good enough. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus is offering you a life to the full with him as your gate if you will only just walk through. So I'm going to pray and Pastor Aaron's going to come up. But here's my challenge to you. As we close the service today, uh, in just a few moments, like we do every service, we're going to have our prayer partners up front. And as most people are walking out, our prayer partners will be up front. And here's my challenge to you. If you need to walk back through the gate, or walk through the gate for the very first time, I want to invite you to come forward and pray with someone and go, hey, I, I need to figure out what my next step forward looks like. I don't want to be outside anymore. I want to experience this life that is truly life that Jesus is describing. And 
I'm realizing all I've got to do is surrender my life to him. All I've got to do is walk through this gate. We have people who would love to pray with you and walk this journey with you. I'm going to challenge you. Let today be the day that you decide, I'm not living outside this anymore. I'm going to experience the full life that the gate is offering me. Let's pray together. Jesus, may we see you as the gate. And we understand what an amazing invitation this is for us. That we can experience the life you've designed for us. This life where we thrive. Where we have all we need. We have the protection and security. We don't need to lock doors around us in fear anymore. May we live with your peace as we allow you to be the gate for us. As we allow you to do what only you can do in our lives. As we surrender our own attempts and our own efforts of breaking in. And we just allow you to do that. God, I pray for anyone who needs to refocus on you as the gate today. That needs to rethink about how they're living and surrender to you. And I pray for anyone who's never decided to do that. That today would be the day. This would be the moment they decide they want to experience the life that is truly life, that is available to them in this very minute. God, we are amazed that you lay down for us at the entrance, that you are the protection, and you are welcoming us to experience life that is truly life. May we see it, may we live with it, and may our lives never be the same as a result. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.